And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on my way, well, son. There'll be peace when you are gone. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry. Hey everybody, and welcome to the weirdest episode ever, episode 108. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I had to do a little Halloween for you. Anyway, episode 108. Um, it's been a strange night, but uh, yeah, well, you know, it is October. Um, strangeness abounds, and it is just a little over two weeks until Halloween, so you know. Spooky, scary skeletons and all that, you know, good jazz. Um, I wrote, uh, finished writing my story for, um, well, editing my story for Unwelcomed and uh, sent it over to Dave. And it's uh, it's kind of a, a, it's a cautionary tale. That's what it is. It's a personal recounting. Um, If you've listened to my podcast at all, you know about the issues that I had at a particular house. Um, Well, this is the retelling of um, two of the major events that happened. Um, There's a lot of things that I left out because, you know, word count. (laughs) I could probably turn that entire uh, episode, the entire situation into a book. (laughs) my publisher is nodding his head at me. Um, There's a lot that went on. There's a lot of things that happened. And I left a lot of it out of the story. I just touched on the significant portions of the story. And um, in doing that, in retelling stories and situations and experiences that you've had, you kind of open that door a little bit. And you give that a little life again. So weirdness has abounded since I typed the last words of that story. Um, Interesting recordings and phones hanging up for no reason. Uh, Just strangeness. So I am hoping that this podcast is going to go off without a hitch. No snags, no troubles, no problems. Um, And we'll get through it. Housekeeping. Okay, so if you are in the high desert area, we are looking for vendors. The PCEHD.com website has been updated, so it no longer says vendor applications now closed. No, no, it is open. We are looking for vendors for um, November 13th at the Hilton Garden Inn in Victorville. And um, if you go to PCEHD.com, and go to our um, vendors page, vendors page, application page, application page. Um, It will have the application there with all the pricing for the tables, and um, we are going to have Dominic Pace from The Mandalorian. He was supposed to be at the one in 
February, February. Um, he loves us so much. He has committed to come now. He's waited. <laughs> and um, the 501st is going to be there for sure. And the boss man is typing furiously because he didn't give me housekeeping beforehand. Oh, he's not typing to me. Never mind. I thought I was important or something. I don't know. It's just me. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not important at all. Mm. Needs to be nice to me. I haven't even crossed over into the United States yet. Oh, be careful. They can hear you. Oh, see? The little one's giving me kisses. Somebody loves me, at least. <laughs> Feel sorry for me, man. Anyway, there's no housekeeping this week. I have nothing. I got nothing for you. PCEHD. That's all we're focused on. Where our brains are. Aww. He says, I'm important and special. <laughs> In a, you know, there. There you go. You happy now kind of way. <laughs> anyway. Um, Tim just did the magazine review and he did a fantastic, for his very first review, he did an amazing job. I mean, absolutely amazing. And think, dude, you've got the job. You don't have to butter me up with all your sweet words and, and that wonderful Australian accent. But, you know, I will continue to take those sweet words and that wonderful Australian accent. Thank you very much. <laughs> you are actually, you're doing an amazing job, Tim. Keep it up. I love listening to your podcast. Um... And the review was right where it should be. Good job, Tim. Good job. Um, I say that like I'm his teacher or something. I don't know. <laughs> Go listen to it. You'll like it. Anyway, you have to bear with me. My brain's a little scrambled. It's 11.22 at night. It's been a long day. Um, my sewing machine pretty much almost ended up a lawn ornament via my sister's front window. Um, I'm doing a cloak for a wedding that I'm going to on the 22nd. So pretty much in 12 days, this cloak has to be done <laughs> and it has to look good. Not just done, but look good. So I've been fighting tooth and nail with this sewing machine. And I think it's because this sewing machine kind of carries some bad juju with it. Uh, it belonged to the troll's mother. Now, the troll's mother is apparently a nice woman. I've never met her. Um, but the troll is a... I'm trying to find the nicest words possible to put here, and I'm having a very hard time. Um, waffle keeps popping into mind with, you know... The word in front of it and I don't say bad words on this show so I'm having a hard time not calling her that waffle she's an awful waffle there we go anyway um, she's a troll so that her negative energy and her negativity is kind of attached to the machine um, which is probably why I want to launch what why I wanted to launch it off a bridge out a window, throw it in the middle of the road and let a car run it over. Big truck, 
you know, whatever. Because that's kind of what I wanted to do with her in the times that I've had to interact with her. But for the most part, well, all the sewing, sewing with the machine is done. I'm putting the trim on with InstaFix No-Sew, because that's just how I roll. And it looks much nicer. There's no stitching in the trim. Um, and then all of the filigree vining will be done, will be sewn on by hand. And then the clasps will be done by hand as well. So it's almost done. It's almost done. We're getting there. And then my sister brings me a blanket. Can you fix this? Sure. Well, it should have been a five minute, not even a five minute job. It was a straight line for crying out loud. It should have taken me less than a minute. Zip, done. No. No. I fought with it for 20 minutes. A good 20 minutes. I would get like an inch and it would bung up. And I would get it unstuck and I'd get another inch and then another inch and then another inch. And then all of a sudden, at the last four inches, my sewing machine went, oh, wait, you want me to work? Zoop. There it went. I was so mad. So now I have a six foot caterpillar in here because once my sister brought the blanket to me, my nephew went, oh, wait, I have things you could sew for me, too. So he ran to get his toys that have holes. So, yes, it's a six-foot caterpillar. It's very cute. But, like I said, it's a six-foot long caterpillar that has holes. And then, because I have introduced my niece and my nephew to the fine art of nail glue, and how wonderful nail glue is, and how nail glue can fix anything except for the knob on the fan in the kitchen. The range hood, the plastic knob, it won't fix that. I, I don't know why, but it will not stick. I don't know. I've stuck my fingers to the range hood. I've been glued to the range hood. I've stuck my fingers to the knob. I've stuck my fingers together, but I can't get the knob to stick to where it's supposed to stick. So, I don't know. Anyway, um, he's bringing me all his broken toys. <laughs> when we were sorting boxes in the basement and getting stuff for the yard sale and stuff that my sister and my brother-in-law wanted to keep, some of the stuff had broken and off I'd go with the nail glue and I'd glue it back together and I'd come back and go, look at, ta-da! Doesn't even look like it's ever been broken. So um, my nephew decided now that his mother has put me to work in fixing things that, you know, that gives him carte blanche to go and find things for me to fix. <laughs> so now I have a six-foot caterpillar to sew. I have an 18-wheeler that only has 16 wheels. I have to put two more wheels onto it. I have to glue that on. I have a police car, a school bus, and an ambulance that need batteries. <laughs> if I were to put batteries into. <laughs> so, yeah. I have some things that I have to fix tomorrow. Uh, it's nice to be needed. Um, I did something, I can't remember what it was, something a couple of weeks ago, and uh, my brother-in-law was laughing. He's like, oh, going for husband of the year, huh? Like, nope, going for sibling of the year. Husband of the year is your job. I'm going for best sibling. <laughs> He's like, well, you already won that because, you know, I'm here. 
But uh, I was, uh, I went home on the weekend. Well, I didn't actually go home. Well, I, I went home, but not for the weekend. My granddaughter came down. My mom picked her up on Friday. I haven't seen her. Um, I haven't had her for a weekend since the, there is the summer. And then I went to Florida and then the pandemic. So that summer I had her before the pandemic. So I had, the last time I had her for any amount of time was 2019. And here we are in 2022. So um, needless to say, when my mom pulled into the driveway, I don't think she had even come to a full stop. And I had the door flung open and was diving into the back seat to throw myself onto my granddaughter. Hugging and kissing her and she's giggling away, pushing it. Mama, stop it. Mama, mama. And no, I'm not done. And I just, all weekend, I'm grabbing her and I'm hugging her and I'm kissing her and loving on her. And she's giggling and laughing. And um, she's playing this game called Tokoboka. And I knew actually what it was because I happen to know two little girls that play it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I know that game. And uh, <laughs> so she she was kind of looking a little sad. I'm like, what's the matter? And she's like, well, I want to do this, but I need this pack. And I'm like, well, how much is the pack? And she's like, it's $1.99. Give me, give, give me the thing. So I buy the pack. Do you realize that, and I watched this happen in California, that once you buy that first pack, it's, it's like this little demon rises up out of the game and grabs your wallet and you are now committed you are now committed. And you can't, no matter how hard you want to, the next time they ask you, you can't say no. It's, uh, the, 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 the transaction's already done before your mouth forms a word. So I ended up buying her a $1.99 pack, a $7.99 pack, a $2.99 pack, a $5.99 pack, and then I think I was done. I think she was happy. Once she got the hospital, she was happy. She just wanted the hospital. So she got the hospital. She got the Bohemian house. She got um, a pack where she could make 30 extra characters. She got a bunch of furniture and clothes. And oh, it, It's Lily approved. <laughs> so, but she kept telling me I was the best Amma. That she loved me. I was her favorite. And I'm like, yeah, 14 bucks is kind of worth that price. I'm, I'm all right with that with that so what <laughs> you have that too yes. okay apparently it's ah so is lizzie because i also made the mistake i wouldn't say it was a mistake but you know if i ever want her attention again it might have been a mistake i introduced her to zoe and they were kind of chatting through me and I was working on the cloak and I looked at Lizzie and I, why don't I just give you the phone? And I said to Zoe, I said, if you want, I will just give Lily or give Lizzie my phone and you two can talk to each other. And they both kind of sat there. Quiet. Crickets were chirping. And then I get a message back from Zoe. Okay. Here, Liz, take the phone. I never got my phone back. 
um, until she got out of the car on Monday. <laughs> this was Saturday that I introduced them. They spent all day Saturday playing Toka Boca and talking on video chat. They spent Sunday playing Toka Boca and talking on video chat. And apparently, well, they were talking on video chat on Monday on the drive home. And then um, I messaged Lizzie's mom later. Lizzie now has Facebook and she has regular Facebook Messenger so that her and Zoe can talk. And, you know, she did add me. I noticed she did add me because, you know, she needed to or there was going to be an ass whooping somewhere. <laughs> I am Amma. I, I rank. I reign supreme. I rank above all others, mommy included. And mommy willingly admits this. Uh, she told me today that uh, if there was a broken heart that needed mending, I could mend it. It was kind of sweet. Maybe she made me cry a little brat. Um, so you need to understand my relationship with Tally. She used to be my daughter-in-law. She was um, dating my son. And uh, how I met her was my son introduced. We met at McDonald's in Barry, And my son introduced me to her and said, by the way, she's pregnant. Okay. I had about a minute and a half to digest the information and decide how I was going to respond. Um. I am the type of person that, you know what, it's happened, it's done, I can't change it. Being mad about it is going to make me miss all of the excitement and the fun and the love. So, congratulations. When's the baby due? Um, and then they moved to Midland and my son has some issues. And I jokingly, <laughs> jokingly made a comment when things were really good between the two of them that if they ever broke up, I was going to keep Tabby. Here we are, 10 years later, and my son and I don't speak, and Tabby is like my daughter. <laughs> Be careful what you say in joke, because, you know, it might come true. Um, my son's starting to get his life back together now and, and get himself straightened out and, and um, on track. He has a new girlfriend, and they're expecting. So this will be his fourth child, my fourth grandchild. I only know one. That's Lizzie. Um, apparently she has, well, not apparently, she has two half-brothers, Ivan and Alexander. Ivan and Alexander. Alexander is my son's middle name. Um... Now he's expecting another baby with a new girlfriend. So, you know, congratulations if you're listening. I'm sure you are. But Lizzie's kind of awesome. I was really impressed. I raised her. Uh, well, I helped her mom. I pretty much raised her. Her mom was, was kind of a mess when we took her in. We moved her in when she was still pregnant because she needed to be on bed rest. And there was a big blowout with my son. 911 was called. Um, there was domestic abuse. It was not pretty. So we moved Tabby in because her family were completely against her being pregnant and weren't, weren't going to accept it and were punishing her for it. Why? Why would you do that to your child? So we took her in. 
on the condition that she went back to school, that she got her high school diploma, and that she went to college. And I am very proud to say that I got to sit in the front row and I shed tears as I watched that girl walk down the aisle and get her high school diploma. Very proud of her. She um, would go to school during the day and I would watch Lizzie and then she would come home and help with dinner and help with cleanup. And then she'd sit at the kitchen table and she'd do her homework and she'd bathe Lizzie and spend some time with her and put her to bed. And then she'd come back and finish her homework. Uh, she did go to business school for counseling, uh, but unfortunately there was a scandal with the school and um, it was money laundering, stealing thing. So um, she's got a good job now. She's working at Walmart. She's, she's doing really well. She's got a, a good man with her, Chris. And uh, Lizzie and I had a chat about him. He uh, The last time I saw her, she, her and my daughter were trying to convince Tabby to leave Chris. And Lizzie and I had a chat. I'm like, how come you don't like Chris? Well, because he won't let me do things and, and he's strict and, you know, he makes me go to bed at a bedtime and, you know, he makes me eat my vegetables. I'm like, oh, so he's like a dad. Well, yeah. And she was quiet for a minute. And she says, well, He's more of a dad than my real dad is. Mm. And you fight because he calls you on your shit. She's like, yeah. And you can't get away with not doing your homework and getting bad grades and being on the tablet or watching TV all the time, can you? No. You have chores, don't you? Yes. Okay, you know what? There's nothing wrong with this guy. She's like, no, I was just mad. <laughs> but yeah, because your mom's a pushover. You get away with more with your mom than you do with Chris. Yeah, so just leave it alone. <laughs> so she, uh, and then we also had a conversation about um, her papa and I. And, you know, she spent the summer, a week in the summer at my ex's place. And then, she, you know, she came here for the weekend. Well, it was a four-day weekend, so it was pretty much a week. Um hanging here and I mean this is the first time that she's done that like this is her first visit since the divorce so it was kind of awkward for her not being at um and papa's house but being at papa's house and then being with him so she uh we chatted about that we talked about that and she is very um intuitive and she's very smart and very sensitive for a 10-year-old. She's very mature for a 10-year-old because she's kind of had to be. Uh, she had to grow up kind of quick. Uh, her mom was um, a little bit of a flake. I've said this to Tabby. She knows this. She um, had her wilder days when, when Lizzie was much younger. And she has Charlie, who she goes to. She spends a week with her mom and then a week with her dad. And then she has Kira, which is Chris's daughter. So she, Chris finally settled her down, which is why I think I love Chris. <laughs> because he settled her down. That And he is my um, Gaelic go-to. All the Gaelic that is going to be in Magically Bound has come from Chris. I have given him what I need my character to say, and he has sent me back the translation. <laughs> um, 
because he's Irish. He was born in Ireland. He spoke Gaelic for most of his life. So, yeah, if there's anybody that knows Gaelic, it's him. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I picked up, my mom picked up my granddaughter on Friday, and it was Thanksgiving in Canada this weekend. Uh, we didn't do a turkey, which I'm kind of happy for because, you know, we did a ham because I want to do a turkey in the States when I'm there for American Thanksgiving. I want to do, you know, try and find a little cheap turkey and do stuffing and gravy and potatoes and, you know, garlic fried carrots. And, and if we have to have squash, I'll do squash, but don't expect me to eat it. I don't like squash. I'll do squash for those that like squash, but I don't like squash. I will make pumpkin pie. I will make pecan pie. Oh, pecan pie is like candy. Pecan pie is really good. Um, do you like lemon meringue pie? I can make lemon. Oh, there we go. We have a winner. Make lemon meringue pie. Um... Because a lot of this, you know, their their Thanksgiving leads into Christmas. So the Christmas baking will begin because I will be there for Christmas. So there will be shortbread and there will be um, snickerdoodles. And because as of January 1st, you know, we're back on eating clean. So there will be all the not eating clean up until the 1st of January. I'll be sitting there at like New Year's Eve. 12.59, shoving as much into my mouth as I possibly can. <laughs> the French fries hanging out of my nose, gravy dripping off my chin, you know. <laughs> It'll be schmancy. <laughs> Let me wipe off the whipped cream before you kiss me, kind of deal, you know. Actually, whipped cream is keto-friendly, so. <laughs> um... But uh, I'm hoping to lose a few pounds before I get to California. I'm working on it. Uh, it doesn't seem to be in my favor yet, but, you know, it happens suddenly sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I want to do a traditional Thanksgiving dinner in a non-traditional place, if that makes any sense. Um, but I'm excited about it. And I want to find out what, you know, their traditions are and what they generally eat on Thanksgiving and what they eat on Christmas and, and kind of incorporate our two traditions together and make traditions of our own as well as a, a little quasi-family. <laughs> you know, um, New Year's Eve is all about the bubbly wine. That's all I'm saying. New Year's Eve is all about the bubbly wine. You'll be wearing your little hat, drinking your Sprite. That'll be your bubbly wine. Lily's giving me a thumbs down. She doesn't get a vote. New Year's Eve is for the grown-ups. Anyway, um... Yeah, so, but we're only in, here I'm talking about Thanksgiving and I'm talking about Christmas and we haven't even hit Halloween yet. I'm sounding like a dollar store. I went to the dollar store, took my granddaughter to the dollar store. Her and my niece and I went and we had a little girls day outing. 
went to the dollar store and we're walking down the aisle and it's like it's all halloween and it's really cool and i'm like where's the thanksgiving stuff it's all like halloween where's the thanksgiving stuff we round the corner and it's one whole aisle one whole side of christmas and then you've got about one bunker of thanksgiving and the rest is halloween it's like whoa talk about holiday clashing good grief I'm going to have to do something with the monitor because she's making me dizzy. Slow down there, Lily. You're making me dizzy. Stop flipping the phone. It's a little distracting. Um, there, I'll just shut the phone off. <laughs> so, we went to the dollar store. And, of course, you know, I have to... My, my brother-in-law gave Haley five bucks to spend at the store. So I gave Lizzie five bucks to spend at the store. And then I bought them stuff at the store. And, you know, they each had their own money. And I still ended up spending $40 at the store, at the dollar store. You spend $40 at the dollar store. You walk out with a lot of stuff. But she gave me the big puppy dog eyes. She wanted the mermaid. And Lizzie wanted this mandala-type coloring book that calms and, and soothes and relaxes you. How could I say no to that? I mean, come on. Then she wanted ramen. I'm not going to tell her no. And I'm not going to make her buy her own ramen. That's food. It's my responsibility to feed her when she's here. So I had a great weekend with her. She slept on an air mattress in the room with me and for the first night. And then she was offered a bed in my nephew's room because that bed's available for the rest of the weekend. But she didn't want to leave. So she stayed in here with me and we would chit chat. And uh, I think the one night it was like midnight and her and I were still talking and she was watching her show and I was watching my show. And it's like, okay, we got to go to sleep, kid. It's midnight. We got to turn our stuff off and we got to stop talking and we got to go to sleep. So we turned the lights off and my sister had this nightlight, which is the exact same nightlight that they have, that they had when I was in California the last time. And it's really cool. And I put batteries in it, so now I've got all the lights on it working. It's great. So we've turned that on, and then we both lie on our backs and stare at the ceiling and watch the stars and the moons, the three moons of Endor. <laughs> um, but it's really cool, yeah. So uh, um, I had a good weekend with her. And then, so I drove her home. Now, my sister's moving, so... Everything that's still here, that's my mother's, has to go because my mother is going to Florida as of the 1st of November. My sister's moving the 30th of November. So this is it. This weekend and last weekend and, and this weekend um, are the only weekends that my mom can get her shit out of this house. So there was a marble table. Now, the top of it's marble and then the rest of it is oak and a red velvet chair that were my dad's favorites that my mom would sit in and talk to. My dad would always sit in them, put his drink down and put his feet up and relax. And he loved the chair, loved the table, my dad's favorites. So my mom said I could have them. So she didn't think they were going to fit in my car. I will admit I did have pause that this big chair, red velvet chair, and this oak table, round oak table, would fit in my car. My car is deceivingly big on the inside. 
It's a little tiny micro. But I got that chair, a table, a oversized airport suitcase, and all of Liz, oh, and a laundry basket full of clean laundry, and all of Lizzie's stuff in the back of the car. And Lizzie and I were in the front of the car. And I could have put more stuff in there. I really could have put more stuff in there. So drove her home, which was almost a two-hour drive because of traffic. Holiday Monday. I should have known better. Holiday Monday. It doesn't matter what direction you go in. There's going to be traffic. So it took us about two hours. Just it took us almost an, over an hour just to get past the city. Normally, Toronto is half an hour away. It took a half an hour just to get to Hamilton. That's a 10-minute drive. It's crazy. So we finally get to Barry, and then I drop her off, sat and chit-chatted with Tabby for a few minutes, and, you know, got leapt on by Kira, my little pixie. That's what I call her. She's my little pixie. Um, that's her nickname. All my... Everybody has nicknames. Everybody has nicknames. Silly Lily. Um, that's that's Lily's nickname. My silly my silly Lily. Um, and Zoe's. That's what I call Zoe. I call her Zoe's. She's my Zoe's. And then Lizzie is sweet girl. Haley is Haley Bailey. Everett is Mighty Mouse or just Mouse. James is Beans. Caleb is handsome, and Colton is bug. So, I think that's everybody. I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. Anyway, so, I drop her off. Oh, yeah, and Charlie is peanut, and Kira is pixie. So, I dropped them off, gave pixie and sweet girl a hug, jumped back in the car, and punched in my address. Now, I'm only an hour from Barry. But traffic. So it took me an hour and a half to get to my house. <laughs> it took me eight minutes to unload my car. I took everything to the door. The table, the chair, the suitcase, the laundry basket. Then took it all up the stairs, down the hall, pissed off my neighbors. It's great. And put it in my apartment, kind of placed the chair and the table sort of where I think I might want it. Um, I'm going to let it sit there and then I'm going to see when I come back in on the 29th, what it looks like, and I know I'm going to move the couch and put the chair where I want it, but anyway, um, peed, got back on the road, stopped at Harvey's, and got a burger and a poutine and some onion rings, I was hungry, and another, took me an hour, 45 minutes to get back to my sister's, so it was a long day of driving. But I got accomplished everything I needed to get accomplished. I took home some stuff from here that I'm not using. I also grabbed my outfit that I'm going to be wearing to the wedding on the 22nd because I realized I'm not going home first. It's a good thing it's an outdoor wedding and it's an alternative religion wedding where you don't have to wear makeup, you don't have to have some fancy updo, and you don't have to wear high heel shoes. I got, <laughs> my boyfriend is not happy that I'm not going to be dressed up, but he wouldn't get to see the benefits of me dressed up anyway, because he wouldn't be with me. I will dress up for him. 
I will get my makeup bag, which is in New Brunswick, when I go to see Crystal. Uh, so the 21st, I am, see, Nisha wanted me to stay the night of the wedding. Because in Canada, cannabis is legal. So the two that are getting married are pot smokers. That's fine. I don't, I don't judge. Whatever. And so there'll be an open bar. There will be a pot bar. There will be an edibles bar. <laughs> so she wanted me to spend the night. Unfortunately, I can't work it to where I can stay the night um, at the wedding and then leave for New Brunswick the next morning. I want to go home. I want to get a good sleep in my own bed. I want to pack my bag for crystals for the week. And I want to go. It's probably going to be just a backpack. Because I never really wear much when I'm at crystals. I kind of wear my pajamas all day. Um, and the less clothes I take, the less will smell like cigarette smoke when I bring them home. Anyway, um, so I'm going up to 21st, which is the Friday. So Nisha and I are going to get our drunk on. <laughs> Fair warning. Giving you all. Now, you see, I said that the last time I went to her house for the night. and We were supposed to be drinking margaritas. That um, I was giving you all fair warning I was going to be drinking. And nothing ever came of it. I had one, I think, one drink, two drinks. And that was it. That's all we drank all night. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to cut loose. I'm going to relax. It's been a stressful month. I'm going to be responsible, Miss Lily, getting the no-no finger. Um, you tell your dad that the next time he wants a Corona. Tell him no. See how far you get. I am a responsible adult. I am not a drunk. There's a difference. Big difference. Anyway. So, yeah, her and I are going to cut loose. And she's going to need to because it's going to be the night before the wedding. And she lives in the house with Bridezilla, which is her daughter-in-law, who is a lovely person. But every woman, the week before her wedding or the month before her wedding, no matter how small the wedding is, it doesn't matter if you're just going to City Hall or the Little White Chapel in Vegas. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're having a gathering in the back, you're having a barbecue in the backyard. Every bride is a mess the week before the wedding. Because there's a lot of emotions that are going on. There's worry that the groom's going to change his mind. <laughs> there's worry that your dress isn't going to fit, no matter what you've chosen. Could be like some plain flowy thing. It could be some skin tight, low cut short skirt, whatever. Um, if you're still of childbearing years, there's fear that, you know, Mother Nature is going to pay you a visit on your wedding night, which would really suck. Um, there's a whole lot 
going on. You're worried about maybe family members fighting, people showing up that you don't want there. You're worried that the food's not going to be good or it's not going to show up or the band's not going to show up or the barbecue's going to explode. You would not believe some of the scenarios that brides can cook up in our crazy wedding brains. Um, it's just, it's a normal thing. And then you go through the, am I doing the right thing? Do I want to commit my life to, to this one person for the rest of my life? And it doesn't matter how long you've been with the person. You still run through the same questions. Is this a mistake? Is this going to change our relationship after we say I do? Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? What's going to happen? So do I want to change my name? So um, she's going to be a mess the night before because now you're putting on the nerves. It's now it's like, oh, my God, it's happening the next day. The next day you're saying I do. This is what's going to happen. So, oh, yeah. We're going to have a few drinks because she can't. Because, <laughs> well, she could. She could. You you can be hung over at your wedding you cannot be inebriated at your wedding. If the officiant smells alcohol on you, they can refuse to marry you. So no dip in the whiskey before for courage to walk down the aisle. Mind you, I don't think there is an aisle, but it's it's a, a man-made aisle because it's grass. It's outside. I'm hoping the weather is nice. I have packed for contingencies. So anyway, I have my purple skirt. I have my nice tight black top that crisscrosses here. So there'll be there'll be a little sweetheart peekaboo right here. You know you know the you know the top. You know the black one. You like it. You like it. And then I have my scully shawl. And then I have my big purple sweater for when the sun goes down and you know we're in the bush and it's cold because <laughs> it's October in Canada. Um, and I'm wearing my running shoes because nobody can see my feet under my skirt. So I'm wearing my running shoes. So I'm going to hang out as long as I possibly can after the wedding. And then I'm going to go home. And then the next day, I'm going to pack a bag. And I'm going to head to New Brunswick. And I'm going to be there till the 29th. Then I'm going to come home on the 29th. And I'm going to pack my suitcase. And I have to figure out how I'm going to pack two suitcases for six months. Although, I don't really wear a lot of clothes when I'm at Dave's. I'm, not that I'm running around naked, but I pretty much live in my um, spandex workout pants and t-shirts. Kind of what I live in. It's going to be cold, so I'm going to have some long sleeve shirts. I'm going to have some sweaters. I'll bring a coat. Um, but, I mean, California cold to them is an oversized sweater for me. <laughs> I've experienced a California cold. It was unseasonably warm that year. <laughs> I'm bringing back the heat, baby. <laughs> so... Um, I want snow. I want to see snow in California and not up a mountain. I want the, the, the 
the actual California desert snow where you wake up in the morning and it's gone 10 minutes later, you know, when I take the girls to school. So, but, um, yeah. Okay, it's 43 minutes in and I haven't even done, like, talked about nothing that I want to talk about that's Halloween related. I'm telling you about my weekend. Anyway, it was a great weekend. I loved having my granddaughter here. And we have made plans to get together when I come back in April. I'm probably going to go up north to my sister's place, new place. All right, so let's see what we got here. <laughs> okay, so I was going to read something last week, um, but then I thought I'd save it for this week. So this is 12 spookiest, and that's this is kind of why I did the vampire voice at the beginning of the show, or at least my attempt at a vampire voice. Um... It's says 12 spookiest vampire legends from around the world. Hold on to your garlic. All right, so vampire legends. These vampire myths have haunted people for centuries. Some of them are actually rooted in fact, which makes them all the more creepy. So, here we go. The Legend of the Blood Countess. Now, there's a really bad movie out there right now, um, but it does recount the story of Elizabeth Bathroy, who was the blood countess. She believed that if she bathed in the blood of virgins, it would keep her young. So, Countess Elizabeth Bathroy, who lived from six, 1560 to 1614 in Hungary, was accused of vampire behavior biting the flesh of victims and bathing in their blood as a beauty treatment. Now, um, there's also, oh, what was her name? In New Orleans, her name will come to me. Um, she kept slaves in the attic, and she would do some really messed up things to these slaves in her attic. And she believed that using their blood as a face cream, like working it into her facial cream, and, and that would keep her young. So, um, oh yes, the legend of Dracula. Dracul, as um, Anthony Hopkins says in the movie Dracula, son of the dragon. Vlad of Wallachia, better known as Vlad the Impaler, was most likely the root of several vampire legends, including Dracula. He would impale his enemies on stakes. That's his nickname. And some stories even claim that Vlad would eat bread and then dip it in his enemy's blood. Now, if you do a, histor a historical, holy crap, a historical, if you do a historical search, I'm diving into my southern... If you do a historical search and you actually research um, Vlad the Impaler and his history and the history of um, warlords back then, impaling the heads of your enemies on stakes at the edge of town was a common practice. And it would warn other people wanting to take over the town that this is what happened to the last people that came and took over our town, tried to take over our town. And it was kind of a deterrent to people to just keep on going. So, I think he just did it more than others. 
Ah, the legend of Ka. Egyptians also had their share of vampire lore and bloodsuckers. The Egyptian goddess Sekhmet was known for her taste for blood. And according to the Egyptian Book of the Dead, if you've ever seen The Mummy, you know which book I speak of. If a certain part of the soul, called the Ka, didn't receive adequate offerings, it left the tomb to drink blood. Well, I really don't like it when I get Chinese or Asian vampires because I can never pronounce them. There's way too many vowels. The legend of the Qiang Shi, Shish, Shih, I don't know. In China, vampires had long hooked claws and red eyes. In Chinese vampire legends, they were known as Chang Shi, which translates to corpse hopper. Looking for... Anyway. The Legend of the Ekinu. A Sumerian and Babylonian myth dating from 4000 BC describes an Ekinu, a spirit that isn't buried properly that returns to suck life from the living. So make sure you put them six feet under and pile rocks and endangered flowers. The Legend of the Rising Dead. Mm-hmm. I'm biting my tongue because, you know, he rose three days later. Legend of the Rising Dead. <laughs> Sorry. It's a bad joke, I know. Throughout northwestern Europe, stones called dolmens were placed over graves. Some historians believe that they were there to prevent the dead from rising or evil spirits from escaping. Legend of the Vampires of the Plague During the 16th century, it was believed that vampires fed off the bodies of plague victims. And that female vampires spread the plague. Oh, of course, blame the women. Those suspected of being vampires were even buried with rocks or bricks wedged in their mouths. The Legend of the Vampire Coffin Some grave robbers would open a coffin and the corpse would move or sit up, a natural reaction that can be caused by decomposition. This may have led to the legend of vampires sleeping in coffins. Oh, and I might have to open that page. Hold on. There we go. To where we were. The legend of the vampire in medicine. Certain medical ailments can mimic symptoms of vampirism, which helped strengthen vampire legends. For example, hematidipsia. She's still listening. Okay, plug her ears. Hematidipsia is a sexual thirst for blood. And hemorrhopia is day blindness. Porphyria causes sensitivity to light and teeth that are stained reddish brown. You don't have to cover her ears now. It's just that one part. Uh, legend of the After Devourers. Vampire legends in 16th century Germany differed from more familiar stories about the dead rising. Northern Germany, the superstitious called vampires the Nachzira. Did I do a good German accent? All right. Or after devourers. 
because they never left their graves, but instead gnawed on their burial shrouds. This belief was because the post posthumous release of bodily fluids would made the burial shrouds burial shrouds wilt and fray like they had been chewed. The Legend of the Restless Souls According to the Smithsonian, the word vampire actually comes from Slavic Europe, with predecessors to the word originating in the 10th century, until their conversion into Christianity, which took place through the 7th to the 9th centuries, Slavic people cremated their dead because they believed that that was the only way to free the soul from the body. Because of this, the new practice of burying the dead would have horrified some, writes Joshua Rapp, learned from, from Smithsonian. They began burying objects with the bodies or even covering graves with stones in hopes of appeasing the buried souls and keeping them from rising. Hmm. Oh, I want to find out how an Ouija board really works. It's the next link I could click. Okay. Number 13. The Legend of the Rhode Island Vampire. Yep, there's a vampire in New York. Okay, there's a city full of vampires. <laughs> One of the most famous real-life vampires was Mercy Brown, a young woman from the 1800s Rhode Island who had died of tuberculosis and was believed to be preying on other members of her family as a vampire. Her body was found still containing some decayed blood, so the townspeople burnt her heart and liver. They fed the ashes in water to her surviving brother, hoping it would protect him from the consumption. No. <laughs> Do not feed me the ashes of anybody in water to save me from anything. Okay. So those are spooky vampire legends from around the world. Um, okay, so how on a Ouija board? Sorry, I pronounced that wrong. I can hear a person screaming in my head. Okay, so the biggest mystery isn't on the board. It's inside your brain. Can Ouija boards actually function as spirit portals? Well, the existence of ghosts is always up for debate, but what researchers have learned is what really happens when you and your friends are having the you're pushing the pointer, no you're not, argument. Find out the spookiest things, oh, never mind. As it turns out, anyone whose hand is on the Ouija board pointer could be making it move without even knowing it. There are two basic principles that get the Ouija board to work. First, the game is influenced by just how much each person playing is willing to suspend their belief of the unusual, improbable, or supernatural. The more someone leaves themselves open to believing the extraordinary, the more they unconsciously will it to happen. Once that is factored in, it all becomes about something called the idiomotor effect. This is a phenomenon in which your body moves according to your unconscious will. Usually when we're awake, the actions that we make are intentional. I want to pick up this pencil, so I will move my hand, but the brain thinks and communicates with the rest of the body even when we're not 
consciously aware of it. For example, a stressed or angry person might ball their hand into a fist without even realizing it at first, because their unconscious is sending signals to the body on how to react. Similarly, they will, the will to believe in the Ouija board and the wish for something to happen unconsciously influences how a person interacts with the Ouija board pointer. A team of researchers at Aarhus University in Denmark observed and tested how people in pairs used the Ouija board and came to the following conclusion. It appears that participants in the Ouija condition generally underestimate their own contribution to the joint interaction. Basically, you're unaware of how much of an effect you're having on the game. So when you're arguing with your friend over who is really pushing the pointer, you might want to try pointing the finger at yourself. Hmm. Interesting. Not about to get a Ouija board and test that theory, thank you. We have all had our Ouija board experiences. We have all learned our lessons. They are not toys. Plain and simple. So here's some things that I found rather interesting. Scary things that actually happened on Halloween. For some of us, October 31st is the most fun day of the year. For others, it's the spookiest, weirdest, most tragic. This freakish Halloween decoration was real. If there were a prize for the most morbid Halloween decoration in Frederica, Delaware, in 2005, it would have gone to the body hanging from a tree. It would have been beaten out. It would have beaten out the fake witches, skeletons, and jack-o'-lanterns dotting the neighborhood. For hours, people passed by admiring it. Of course, it had an edge over the other decorations. It was a real body. Police believe that it was that of a woman who had committed suicide the night before. Poor woman. Men in tutus shouldn't criticize. Note to self. Not everyone wearing a costume on Hall not everyone's wearing a costume on Halloween. When a tutu-clad marine spotted a uniform-clad man in a wheelchair, he thought the man's costume was a weak attempt at mocking the military. So he attacked him. As the marine learned upon his arrest, the man's wardrobe was not a comment on American servicemen and women. He was, in fact, a disabled veteran. Oops. Every parent's nightmare. Your child comes home from a night of trick-or-treating with spiked candy. One event that helped propel this fear was the murder of Timothy O'Brien in 1974. The eight-year-old from Deer Park, Texas, died Halloween night after ingesting poisoned candy. Making this crime more horrific is the fact that the perpetrator was not a neighbor, but the boy's own father, who sought to cash in on his son's life insurance. The most frightening thing about the graveyard kit bought at Kmart was the note an Oregon woman found inside. It was written by a Chinese factory worker who claimed that he and others were tortured and enslaved 
in a forced labor camp making toys 15 hours a day, with no pay or days off. He went on to plead for the letter to be forwarded to the World Human Rights Organization. The woman did just that, and the Chinese worker was freed when the camp was exposed months later. Aww, that's a heartwarming story. It's tragic enough to have collapsed and died alone on your own porch steps. To make things worse, the next morning the mail deliverer, assuming the body was an excellent Halloween decoration, sidestepped the deceased on his way to deliver the corpse's mail. Come on, that's kind of funny. Sometimes a costume is just too good. A nine-year-old wearing a black outfit and a black hat with a white tassel was mistaken for a skunk by a relative and shot. The girl survived. The year was 1957, Halloween night. A couple was getting ready for bed when the doorbell rang. It was late, but the husband answered the door ready to dole out more candy. Instead, an adult wearing a mask shot him in the chest, killing him. Was it a trick-or-treater dissatisfied with the candy selection? Not quite. The murderer, it turns out, was the girlfriend of a woman who had had an affair with the murdered man's wife. The woman convinced her girlfriend to do away with the husband in order to have the wife for herself. Lesbian love triangle gone wrong. Angry candy. Candy might be important, but it's certainly not worth your life. It was Halloween night in 2011 when a 55-year-old Chicago resident realized his candy bag was missing. He blamed a neighbor for the missing sweets and took his revenge to an extreme, stabbing her to death with several steak knives. devastating prank. Halloween is known for both tricks and treats, but some pranks just go too far. In 1998, a Bronx man was in the car with his girlfriend to pick up her nine-year-old son from a Halloween party. When a group of teens started egging the car, the man got out and an argument started. After he sat back down in the car, though, after he sat back down in the car, though, one of the teens shot him fatally in the head. Hmm. I'm telling you. All right, let's see. Eight horror movies. I think this might be the last one I do tonight. Well, maybe not. Eight horror movies inspired by true stories. <sighs> Jaws, Psycho, and A Nightmare on Elm Street may be the stuff of nightmares, but they were all based on very real very scary events. Number one, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> yeah, my live studio audience is very happy. Nightmare on Elm Street writer-director Wes Craven was creeped out by a story in the LA Times about three immigrants who died in their sleep. In one case, a man's family begged him not to go to sleep, or begged him to go to sleep but he insisted that his nightmares were different from anything he'd ever experienced and was terrified he'd die if he went to sleep. 
When he finally did fall asleep, he died. Craven also said the villain Freddy Krueger was based on a real-life creep. The hat was the kind worn by men when I was a kid, and there was one particular man who scared me. He was a drunk that came down the sidewalk and woke me up when I was sleeping. I went to the window to look. He looked right back into my eyes. I went back and hid for what I thought was hours. Finally crept back to the window and he was still there. Then he started almost walk, walking almost half backwards so that he could keep looking at me. Now, the history and the story of how Freddy Krueger came to be is up for great debate. Many people claim that the fireman from the story that I told you in the last episode was the inspiration for Freddy Krueger. Now, it might have been the inspiration for how Freddy Krueger looked, but this is from Wes Craven himself. So this is the actual inspiration for the movie. And I'm going on about this because I don't want to scroll down in case there's a picture, because I know there's a picture. I don't want to see him. So, wish me luck. Okay, it's Norman Bates. I'm good. I'll take Norman over Freddy any day. Just might not shower anymore. When a sheriff visited Ed Gein's Wisconsin farm in 1957, he was expecting to find a robbery suspect. Instead, he stumbled upon a true house of horrors. There was a bowl made from a human skull. Of course, what else are you supposed to drink the blood of your enemies from? Come on now. A chair, lampshade, and a suit made out of skin. After Gein was arrested, investigators discovered the remains of ten women on his farm. He was committed to a mental institution for the rest of his life. In 1959, author Robert Bloke used Gein as the model for Norman Bates in his novel Psycho, including Gein's unhealthy fascination with his domineering mother. And then Alfred Hitchcock took it, turned it into a movie. Bonus, Gein also inspired Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Buffalo Bill from the Silence of the Lambs, and Bloody Face from the TV show American Horror Story. You've never seen American Horror Story, so oh, you enjoy it. Messed up. The Blob. Undescribable. Indestructible. Nothing can stop it. Steve McQueen became a star in this classic film about alien goo that grows and grows and swallows a small Pennsylvania town. Writer Irving H. Milgate got the idea from a story in the Philadelphia Inquirer. On the night of September 26, 1950, two cops reported a flying saucer approximately two meters in diameter. After it landed, they shone their flashlights at it and it glowed purple. With one of the men tried to pick it up, it dissolved, leaving him with sticky hands. Within a half hour, the rest of the object had dissolved. It's basically how the movie starts, except in real life, the aliens didn't eat the town. The Amityville Horror Films, 1979 to 2015. Conjuring Films, 2013 to 2016, and Annabelle, 2014. 
we will be talking about Ed and Lorraine Warren. I don't even have to look at the write-up to know that. In 1952, Ed Warren, a self-described demonologist, and his wife Lorraine, a trance medium, founded the New England Society for Psychic Research. Twenty years later, the Warrens investigated the Lutz family home in Long Island, New York, where six murders had occurred. The case inspired the Amityville Horror franchise. The Warrens investigated a similar, ghost, similar ghostly events involving the Perrin family home in 1971, that became The Conjuring, and the movie Annabelle came from a haunted doll case that the Warrens investigated in 1970. They have a lot of really good TV stuff, movie stuff. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is loosely based off the murderer Ed Gein. Ed Gein was great for horror. He was active from 1954 to 1957, and similar to Leatherface, he would wear his victims' scalps and faces. The main difference? Gein used a gun to kill his victims, not a chainsaw. But the producers of the movie wanted to make the storyline a little more thrilling. Now, I have, an, I have a Texas Chainsaw Massacre story to share. When I was a kid, my best friend's mom, Rosemary, worked at the local nuthouse. Sorry. Um, what do we call it? I don't know. It's a nuthouse. I can't remember what we call it. And no, no, we don't call them asylums here. Um, I don't know what they're called. I don't know what we call them. Call them the OH. Anyway, um, so she would come home and she would tell us that Leatherface was on her ward and that he was constantly screaming for his chainsaw. He wanted his chainsaw. And we were freaked out that, you know, Leatherface was that close to us. And we were like nine, ten years old. And then one day she came home from work and she was all panicked and, you know, she's closing up the windows and she's pulling the blinds and she's closing all the doors. And Now, you have to keep in mind this woman was a little crazy to begin with. What's going on? What's going on? And she's like, he escaped. Leatherface escaped. Little did we realize she was in cahoots with her friend down the street, my dad. And we were sleeping in the backyard in the tent that night. So Jenny and I are all snuggled up in the tent. And all of a sudden we hear ring, ding, 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 of a chainsaw. You've never seen two girls make body marks in the side of a tent to try and find the door and get out as fast as humanly possible. <laughs> Rosemary and my dad were roaring. They were laughing so hard. Oh, yeah, we couldn't find the door. We're running around all four walls trying to find the stupid door to get out of the tent so we could get away screaming. Yeah. And they had set this up, like, weeks and weeks and weeks in advance so that they could do this whole, you know, month of Ed Gein and or of Leatherface and her coming home with new stories about what he did that day and just had us enthralled and terrified. And then um, when he actually, when she said he escaped, there was an actual news report. I think she waited until one came out so that she could come home and say, um, but there was a news report of somebody escaping from the mental hospital in Penetang. 
And she comes home and she's like, oh, yeah, that's Leatherface. What? <laughs> so, all right, number six. The girl next door. Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door. This disturbing movie tells the story of two teenage girls who were orphaned by their parents' death. They go to live with their aunt, and she holds them captive, beats them, and tortures them, ultimately leading to their death. This is based off the real-life story, real story of Sylvia Likens. Her parents left her with a family friend while they traveled for work. Similar to the gruesome events in the movie, the family friend terrorized Sylvia and eventually killed her. Mm. Oh, awesome. The Hills Have Eyes. Great. The Hills Have Eyes is loosely inspired by the terrifying tale of the 16th century Scottish man, Sonny Bean. Bean and his 14 children lived in caves and were cannibals, reportedly responsible for the deaths of more than a thousand people. The movie depicts a family stranded in a desert victimized by cannibals, similar to the Bean family. And number eight, of course, number eight, number eight. I scrolled by the picture very quickly. Peter Benchley, who wrote the 1974 novel Jaws, got the idea for a killer shark story after chartering boat rides with a fisherman named Frank Monster Man Mundus, who claimed he was the inspiration for the gruff character Captain Quint. The book's plot was inspired in part by the summer of 1916 when a rogue great white shark did him. <laughs> Lurking in the waters, dum dum, off the Jersey Shore, dum 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 dum, killed five unlucky swimmers. Yes, that was in the story. <laughs> I did not add that. That was part of it. Oh, and that's it. Eight horror movies inspired by actual events. All right, time for one more thing. 15 Halloween puns that will have you laughing till your coffin. <laughs> you know, spooky season doesn't have to be all about booze and scares. Five more. Five minutes. Oh, you're at 5%. Okay, we're going to wrap this up quick. Spooky season doesn't have to be all booze and scares. Share these Halloween puns that will have you laughing until you're coughing instead. Everyone knows Halloween puns are so corny anyway. Yeah. This vampire won't leave me alone. He's such a pain in the neck. Did you get the, to meet the tallest vampire in the world? Most people call him Count Everest. He kills a, he rocks a killer widow's peak. Everyone just wants to have a gourd time on Halloween. You know, a gourd, pumpkin, yeah. Uh, although he seems happy and bright, the jack-o'-lantern was so sad on Halloween because he's hollow inside. I appreciate that mummies have a taste for rap. Okay, that one's kind of cute. How do you tell if a vampire has a cold? He's always coughing. The best part of astrology is reading your daily horoscope. 
Oh, my gourd is fall fun. Ghosts make the best cheerleaders. They have lots of spirit. Classy skeletons only take their tea in bone china. Both candles and witches are wicked, wicked to the core. But you can pronounce it wicked instead of wicked. Yeah. Nobody won the skeleton race. They were all pretty bad to the bone. That one's just not. I found this humorous. I found this humorous is the perfect Halloween pun for boneheads. That's it. That's all. That's all I got. That's it. I'm going to end on that one because, you know, I ain't got nothing else for you. So next week we are going to do 12 real ghost stories that will send shivers down your spine. But yes, we are going to save that for next week. All right, everybody. I hope you have had a wonderful week. I hope you enjoyed your turkey day in uh, Canada. And if not, I'm hoping you're enjoying reading week or... If you're in California, then the government can't pay for school week. Um, have a great week. Stay out of trouble. Enjoy the fall colors. The reds are absolutely brilliant this year. The oranges are so bright. And I hope you're getting your Halloween decorations out and you're all having a good time. So enjoy the warm weather because I think we're about to lose it very, very quickly. Okay, everybody, you know the rules. Wash your hands. Be kind and don't lick shit. All right, buddy. See ya. Carry on all that you have done. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry.